0: Hey, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast from Vital Point Church. My name is Ron. I'm the pastor here at Vital Point. We believe that it's important for people to explore and grow in their faith. And my hope my prayer is that this message that you're listening to will draw you closer to better understanding how you can live out your faith journey in the everyday life. Sit back and enjoy. I want to begin this morning, for some of you who weren't here at the beginning of the service, uh, my name is Ron, I'm the pastor here at Vital Point Church, and if you are checking in right now for the message, we uh, want to welcome you as well at this time. I want to begin uh, our conversation today with a, a statement that I'm going to put on the screen. Many followers of Jesus live below God's intent because they have an unhealthy relationship with the Bible. Many followers of Jesus live below God's intent because they have an unhealthy relationship with the Bible. There are some that would approach the Bible in a way that's kind of, you know, I I don't want to uh, dig into it. I, I prefer just to ignore it because it's confusing. It's hard to understand. You maybe have picked up your grandmother's Bible and you can't figure out how to read it with the language that's in it. And so you just ignore it and you kind of just put it over on the shelf or just put it away. Others elevate the Bible to a place and status of simply knowledge. If I just know a bunch more about the Bible, then I'll be better off, and we neglect to see the importance of how the Bible fits into a relationship with Jesus. For some, they actually place the Bible at a place of an idol in their lives. Today we're going to be talking about practical, practicing wisdom from the Bible. How do we approach it? We're in this series called Practicing Wisdom and we've been looking at this Old Testament book called Proverbs and what we've been doing is we've been pulling it apart and we've been examining different parts of it to find out how we can live from a place of wisdom. I, as I think about this and as I reflect on this, I recognize that in our human nature, each and every one of us deep down desire to make good choices. We want to be wise in our decision making. We face a crossroads and we got to figure out which way to go and we want to make the right choice and the right decision. Like I launched this series a few uh, weeks ago, we talked about this idea, even for a follower of Jesus, it's even more complicated because we want to do what God wants us to do. As I think about wisdom, I've never had anyone ever come to me with choices and decisions to say, you know what, I can't wait to make bad choices. No one has ever said that to me. You know, I've I've never sat with anyone over coffee at the coffee shop and said, I can't wait to blow up my family. You know, I, I can't wait to get into so much debt, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. I've never had anyone ever say to me, I can't wait to make a mess of my friendships. The reality is, though, is that oftentimes in the course of life, we make small, unwise decisions that lead us down a path of pain and struggle and sometimes devastation, and so... We want to be wise. We want to make good choices and decisions. The Bible actually speaks to the reality of this idea of making wise choices. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16 says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. The writer of this particular section in Ephesians is this guy named Paul and he's writing to believers saying, make good choices. Pay attention to your decisions. Be careful how you walk. The other day I had the realization of being careful how you walk. I was cleaning up dog dirt in my backyard. I had, uh, it's been a few days since I picked it all up. She's living the dream. I pick up hers, you know, And she, uh, our black lab, she just fills the backyard at times, and I'm walking in my bare feet. wrong Wrong thing. I'm like carefully walking through my backyard, right? There's nothing worse than that stuff oozing up between your toes. I have to do something to make you remember this talk. Look carefully how you walk. Make good choices. Actually, the word for unwise is the word fool. See, there's natural wisdom in life, right? There's natural experiences where we grow, where we make decisions. We move through adolescence and teens and young adults and then somewhat adulting and you actually begin to have natural wisdom. Like when you're out for a drive and your Waze app is open and it tells you to turn left in 300 yards and you get there and your gut says, no, I think I should go right. And you go right and Waze tries to correct you, but you know your gut says, I'm gonna keep going in this direction and you end up 45 minutes out of the way and you have to turn around and go back. And next time when the British lady tells you to turn left, you turn left, right? (laughs) We gain this kind of insight and practical experiences and wisdom through life. But I want to present to you today that it's possible to gain a supernatural wisdom for life. A wisdom that goes beyond yourself. Sorry, that was a fly trying to get in my way. I'm not losing my mind. Um, A a supernatural wisdom that helps us navigate the complexities of life and faith. There's a wisdom that's supernatural that we gain from a life, you ready for this? A life that is saturated by God's word. There's uh, two verses that I've used my entire pastoral career. On August 1st, I celebrated 29 years as a pastor. And, um, yeah, uh, that's awkward. Um, I'm hoping to figure it out someday. Um, Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all the energy uh, that His powerful works within me. I just messed it up. That word wisdom there is the spirit-endowed mindset that goes beyond simple understanding. That's the wisdom that we need in our lives. That's the wisdom that the Holy Spirit uses as we gain supernatural understanding from a life that is saturated by the Bible, See, when you think about your life, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you have what is called the Holy Spirit. He lives within you, and the Holy Spirit uses and accesses the truth that you've deposited in your life. There are sometimes, there's followers of Jesus go, God doesn't give me any wisdom, and the Spirit says, I've got nothing to use. I think that just came to me. Like you think about the reality of a life saturated by God's word allows the Holy Spirit to use these truths to bring us supernatural wisdom. A spirit-endowed mindset. But here's the rub, right? Many people have an unhealthy perspective of the Bible. And it doesn't matter if you're church or unchurched, follower of Jesus or not. We all struggle with trying to sort out how in the world do we approach the Bible? so that my life can be saturated by it, so that I might have supernatural wisdom. Well, guess what? Proverbs is going to help us with that today. Proverbs chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. This is what I want to read for us today. And it's going to be on the screens, or if you've got a Bible or an app, you can open it for yourself. I'll be reading from ESV. It says this. The words of Agar, son of Jacob, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. He probably needs a therapist, I think, by the way he started this. Who has ascended to heaven And come down. Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Verse five. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. What we see from here is this author gives us an understanding of who he is before God and specifically how he understands the role of God's word in his life. Let me unpack this for us. He begins by telling us that he is tired, that he is worn out, that he is weary. Another word for this is often he is faint. We don't know why he's in this state, but he's acknowledging the fact that his soul, his body, his heart, and his mind is weary. Matter of fact, the word oracle actually speaks to the heaviness of the message in which he is about to share. But what we must understand here, it is not simply just an acknowledgement of the state in which he finds himself in. It's a declaration of sorts where he's acknowledging that he is not God and that he lacks the wisdom for life. Like, look at verses two and three. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. This is just incredible. It's not self-deprecation. It's not discouragement. He's not depressed. He's not like Eeyore. He's owning the fact that he has a dullness of mind when it comes to knowing and understanding the ways of God and the truth of God. See, one of the thoughts that I had as I was studying this and reflecting on this this week and writing for us today is that I recognize something. What he's saying is this, is that we cannot approach God and we cannot approach God's truth with an arrogance of self. Who am I, he says. I am but a stupid man. And kids don't use the word stupid. okay. He says, don't approach God and his word with an arrogance of self. I would like to make an observation about human nature. and By no means do I want to offend anybody, but I would like to ruffle some feathers. I haven't preached in a month and a half. We're pretty arrogant as human beings. We've elevated ourselves to a place of ultimate authority on truth. You may have noticed this. You may have noticed that just because someone has a thought, they think it is true. And what makes it even more exciting is they have the freedom to post that thought on social media and have a whole pile of people agree with them, and so they say, therefore, it must be true. We've not examined it. We've not held it up to the light. We've just accepted it because we have elevated ourselves to a place of arrogance because, therefore, if I have a thought, it must be true. I believe that our culture is driving us to the brink of madness. Our worldview right now is trying to convince us that if we buy into its agenda, then you'll be more aware of the expansive human experience. And by no means should you ever, ever allow a religious system like a church or biblical truth into your life because all it's there to do is to rob you of the true version of yourself. See, in our cultural Arrogance and our radical individualism, we've put walls up to the potential of any truth that might interrupt our true selves. See, so, listen, if any movement, any movement, including religious movements, tries to cancel you because you don't agree with it, you have to step back and examine it and be careful of it. If it evokes irrational fear in the general population and places people in boxes and labels them and calls them names, you can guarantee it doesn't have your best interest in mind. See, what's happening in our cultural arrogance and the radical individualism, we're falling for the trap. It is the greatest trap of all time. It is the greatest lie. It's the greatest lie in the book. I mean the book, like this one. Because what happened in Genesis when human beings were created in perfect union with God and with themselves and with creation, they had access to the fullness of God's temple and God's glory and God's presence. They had full reign in this thing called the garden, Garden of Eden, and God said, don't eat the fruit of this one tree. And the evil one comes along in the form of a serpent and says, oh, God is just trying to hold back on your true self. You're not gonna die, no way, no, no. And now we're living in the mess of that decision. Thank you very much, Adam and Eve. (laughs) See, in our unaware state of arrogance, we're becoming slaves to ourselves. And we're believing the truth that we tell ourselves is leading us to our best life. And it's odd because Jesus said, if you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give it away, you'll find it. Here's another observation about our arrogance when it comes to redefining or defining truth We're redefining terms. You may have seen this. Recently, this is a legit conversation. Recently, I was in conversation with someone, and the word adultery came up. We all have an understanding of the word adultery. I don't think I need to go into explaining it. And the person said to me, in passing, they said, oh, if you give your spouse the green light, it's not adultery. And so I said to him, so if my wife said to me, it's okay to go have sex with my neighbor, it, it would be okay? Oh, yeah. It's not adultery. So what if she didn't give me permission? Oh, that's adultery. I'm like <laughs> See oftentimes we're recreating the terms and the definitions so it fits our narrative. It fits our story. The problem that emerges out of this at a deeper level is that we actually get to ourselves to a state where we don't recognize that we need anyone to save us or to redeem us and to put us back into a right relationship with God. We will not understand or see that we actually need Jesus, that his death, burial, and resurrection actually means something for us. We would look at him more, oh, it's a nice little thing over there, but we must recognize that in our arrogance, it's pushing us away from the truth that we all need Jesus, the author understands. He says, I am not God. He postures himself in a way where he begins to understand that he is not God and that he needs to humble himself before God and before God's word. Look what he says. I don't have it on the screen. Sorry. I'll just read them for you. Verse four, he gives five questions Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? See, he's acknowledging the fact we as human beings have limitations, but God, God doesn't have limitations. See, in order for us to have a spirit-endowed wisdom, we need the truth of God in our lives. We need him. His power is limitless. He is the one who can ascend to heaven and come down. He is the one that can gather the wind in his fist. He is the one that has the commands of the waters. We were in Nova Scotia for a wedding. The couple's in the room, I'm not gonna point them out. And uh, we watched the tide come in and out and, and the realization that God is in control of even that. See, here's what I believe the author is leading us to and I, I could be wrong, so you need to actually do, examine this for yourself, but I'm gonna take a stab at this. I believe what he's doing with the posture of humility and recognizing his own self before God and before the word of God is that he's actually leading us to the place where we understand that in order to have spirit-endowed wisdom, supernatural wisdom, we must place ourselves under the authority of scripture. You might say, well, what in the world does that mean? Let me read the two verses for you. Verses five and six, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. I have no doubt that there are some of us here today and actually watching and listening at home that could very easily poke fun and poke holes in the Christian faith. I can do that too. No questions asked. But there is one area of the Christian faith that often gets poked fun of, and it's the Bible, which is amazing. It's so true. I mean, it is such a weird, bizarre book when you think about it. When you, when you begin to read it, you begin going, what in the world is this? This summer, a friend of mine, his daughter was reading her kid's Bible, and she was reading through uh, Genesis 34, and the word rape was in there, and she felt inside of herself like something was wrong with the word. So we went to, she went to her dad, and he explained it in a kid-friendly way, and then she responds, why would they put that in a kid's Bible? It's not appropriate. <laughs> How awesome is that? I get it. When we think about the authority of God's word in our lives, I get it, it's difficult and it's confusing. It talks at times about not getting tattoos, right? Which I didn't listen to it. It talks about not eating shrimp. I love a shrimp ring at Christmas. It, it talks about destroying two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, because of the evil. You could build a case at times for oppressing women and supporting slavery. It talks about unicorns and floods. Some of you are like, unicorns? (laughs) King James Version, Numbers 23, verse 22. Look it up. See, here's the thing. Edgar says that the word of God proves to be true. It is flawless, it's trustworthy, there's no deceit, there's no falseness found in it. And so when we approach it with a place of humility and acknowledgement of our limitations, we place ourselves under its authority, so therefore it influences us, teaches us how to live out wisdom and understanding in the world in which we live. When we have a healthy approach of the authority of it, we recognize that it is a library of collective writing for a certain time, for a certain people, but yet we can access it for us even today because it is the word of God. It reveals to us the heart of God and it reveals to us how to live as a follower of Jesus. And so we gain wisdom as we place it in the authority of our lives. Jesus did this. Like, Jesus actually used the authority of Scripture in his life. I love what Dan Kimball says in, in his book, How Not to Read the Bible, which I'm thinking about doing a series in the new year on this book. It's so good. He says this Jesus loved his crazy Bible. No, he didn't have the New Testament. He only had the Old Testament, but he sure used it. He would be tempted in the desert after his and uh, the wilderness after his baptism, and he used authority of Scripture to defeat the enemy. He just quoted it, and that's all he did. Didn't explain it, just used it. He used it when he uh, was teaching in the synagogues. He used it after his resurrection as he's walking on the road to Emmaus with two people that were confused as to what happened, and Jesus uses it. Matter of fact, Jesus gets to the place where he He even prays to the Father in heaven that his followers would understand the authority of scripture in John chapter 17. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. See, to be people that are set apart for the purposes of God, we must have the truth of God saturating our lives as an authority of truth as a follower of Jesus, and I hope that one day maybe you will, if you're not already, that you will follow Jesus. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you do not live under the power of the worldly system that is trying to push you into its mold. You live in an unseen kingdom under the authority of Scripture and a king named Jesus. In order for you to live into the fullness of what God intended you to live in your walk with Jesus, your life needs to be saturated with the Bible. It doesn't matter which stage of faith you're at, you might be early in your walk with Jesus, you, you might be farther along, but we live with the authority of it. See, if you're unwilling to submit your life to the authority of Scripture, you're left with the winds of political correctness, emotional outbursts, and funky feelings in times that will lead you down a path of brokenness. And when we live with the authority of Scripture, it says that it will become a shield and a refuge. Like, what do we need right now in the ever-changing, unhinged culture in which we live in is an anchor for our lives, a shield and a refuge. I love those two words because as I think about shield and refuge, I realize that the word of God, the authority of scripture in our lives is there to convict us when we're off track. It's to guide us into the paths that God has for us. It's to correct us, it's to equip us, it is to cut through the noise. As the authority in our lives, what I mean by that is it shapes how we see the world. Someone shared with me just the other day this statistic, I didn't look it up, so just I'll, I'm trusting this person. She said that about 21% of followers of Jesus have what is called a biblical worldview. What that means is they actually see the world through scripture. So instead of the world being here and seeing the Bible, we look through the Bible to the world. That's a really failed attempt to explain it. And it's shocking to me that we're trying to live with the supernatural wisdom apart from spending time in this book. I think there's times where we need to just step back and, and, and push the excuses away and say, you know what? I'm not going to believe my excuses. I'm not going to attach myself to these things anymore. I'm going to stop scrolling social media as much. I'm going to stop binge watching my Amazon shows. I'm going to actually pick up my Bible and maybe read it five minutes a day. I don't get it. I don't understand it, but that's okay. You don't have to because as you mature and grow and the spirit of God uses it, you begin to saturate your mind and your soul and before you know it, you have a supernatural wisdom. You're in moments and meetings and conversations and all of a sudden these truths are dropping and you're like, whoa, it works. (laughs) Maybe it's a simple prayer, Jesus help me desire your word above all else. So in 2014, I spent two weeks in India And I traveled and spoke uh, about 12 times over the two weeks. And there were times where I uh, spoke to 12 people in a living room and they uh, had their Bibles and we got to speak to them. And and there were times where I spoke to 3,000 people that literally sat for hours on the ground waiting for us to come and preach. My time in India was a catalyst for starting this church. God used it to reshape my understanding of what He was doing in my life, and God orchestrated some things to move forward to start this church. That's September 2014. When I was on that trip, I met all kinds of people, but one woman stuck out to, sticks out to me. She was almost 80 years old. She walked three hours one way every Sunday to hear the Bible. She walked real slow. She couldn't read, she didn't have a Bible but she walked three hours to hear the teaching of God's word. She understood it was trustworthy. She understood that it was a truth that could give her life and her relationship with Jesus. You know, there's too many followers of Jesus trying to live out their faith without a firm foundation of scripture. And we wonder why we lack wisdom. Don't let the confusion of the memes that are out there. There's lots of memes out there that poke fun at the Bible. You need to understand, none of them have done their homework to even understand what these verses are about. They've completely plucked them out of context and memes are just, some of them are just absolutely ridiculous. But my encouragement to you as we close is pick it up, open it up. Allow it to begin to speak into your life. Saturate your heart and your mind and your soul. Charles Spurgeon, a preacher from the 1800s, says, a Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. Isn't that great? A Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. And just for clarity, this is new. I just got it in the last year. Okay. I, the other one was falling apart. Yeah. I actually gave my other preaching Bible I used for 15 years to my youngest son for his 25th birthday. And yeah, anyway, that's. Wouldn't it be amazing if there was a group of people like us at home that said, I'm no longer going to have an unhealthy approach. In my confusion, and in my difficulty, I'm just gonna pick it up. And you're like, where should I start, Ron? Well, I think you should start reading about Jesus. It's kind of a cool place to start. There's four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're really great. They, I like Mark. Some people say John. I like Mark. It's fast-moving, quick pace. See, I think we maybe just need a healthier approach to God's word. I'm going to ask that you keep your eyes closed as we close our service I want us to just take a moment to reflect and allow God to speak to us we don't want to just come into this space and leave after an hour and go yeah that was pretty good we want to allow God to speak to us We believe that when we're gathered in his name, he's here. We don't need to invite him, he's here. So just in the quietness as we close, allow God to maybe impress upon you a word, an image, a, a thought. Just let this moment be. There's been a thought that's been running through my mind all morning, and it's a tattered soul. I'm not sure why God's been giving me this all morning. From the moment I got up till even this moment here, I've just sensed that there's someone that has a tattered soul, a heart, and a mind that just feels torn apart right now and I want you to know whoever that is and you don't need to identify yourself it's okay Jesus knows who you are is that he wants to mend that he wants to bring newness to it he wants to bring transformation to it he's speaking to you right now One of the concerns I have right now in the time in which we live is that we're doing a very good job of covering up our brokenness and our pain. We can travel again. We can go on vacation. We can hang out with people. We can have campfires. And it just feels so good. But my concern is some of us are covering up the emotional brokenness that we have. And I want you to know Jesus meets you there. And you can invite him into that. You don't have to ask him to take care of it. You can invite him into it. Jesus, I invite you into my brokenness. I invite you into my tattered soul. I invite you in. May he come today and meet you right where you are. one of the things that we've been developing here at our Poplar Hill site is we have a prayer room and our host today, Jen, she's gonna be downstairs after the service and maybe there's some of you that have a heaviness right now and you just need to go meet Jen. She'll pray with you. Her She longs to sit with you and just speak into your life. She's ready to do that and go and see her. So before I have a couple announcements, I'm just gonna pray for us. Father, you have been working and moving today in a very powerful way. And it's not just within the limits of this room, it's someone at home watching as well on their couch or in their lazy boy chair, sipping their coffee right now and they're watching this service and you are speaking to them as well. God, we just ask that you continue to do your work as, you, as we leave this place. Draw us closer, Father, to your heart. Allow us to see your word from a different perspective, your truth from a different perspective. God, I thank you. I thank you for the Bible, and even though we've acknowledged the fact that it's a little bit strange at times that you actually use it to shape and mold us to be the people you desire us to be in relationship to Jesus. It reveals your love and your compassion and your justice and your holiness. May we have a fresh new approach. And so God, as we leave this place, may we be salt and light in this world. May we be a good representation of who you have called us to be because you send us into this world in which we live. And we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.